then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong there. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. Only a butt. Free for your life. <laughs> 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 to a new world of parts and monsters. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Pods and Monsters. The night is appropriate as it's raining cats and dogs. My name is Robert, and with me, as always, is Anthea. Hello. I Do you assume that everyone's listening to this at night? Yes. But, no. we're, but we're recording right now with a stormy night right now. That's true. I can hear the rain, and I'm very excited for tonight. Mm-hmm. You know why? Why? Because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Might be in my top five movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how much I love this movie. I think you can. Well, you'll hear all about it tonight. <laughs> and that movie is the 1941 version of The Wolfman. Whoever is beaten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. The Wolfman, 1941, Universal Pictures. Inthea, have you seen The Wolfman before? I think so. I think, you know what, though? It felt like a whole new movie to me. Did it really? Yeah. There were things I just didn't remember. Yeah. So I th- I don't think we watched this one. Yeah, I don't remember if we've actually sat down together and watched this from beginning to end until today. Well, what did you remember from it if we had? Oh, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you obviously know what the wolfman looks like. And, you know, he has his little underbite and his, Uh uh, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Because the whole thing, the whole thing was really just so brand new to me. So. All right. Well, let's get your thoughts about the movie. Take us back to 1941, where we meet Gwen Cunliffe, Colonel Paul Munford, Sir John Talbot, Baylor the Gypsy, Maliva the Old Gypsy Woman, and Larry Talbot in The Wolfman. All right. So we still have the classic mirror ball reflective universal logo. Yep. My favorite logo. And when that logo begins... I am always hoping, crossing my fingers, for a great Lon Chaney movie and hopefully a Wolfman movie. And this is the first of my Wolfman movies. So we get 
a Harry title card. I really <laughs> like the font for yeah. this. And we get really booming music. Yeah, the music. It's really it, great. It's one of the best universal scores of all. It's really good. And you'll hear it in a lot of the movies you watch from here on out. They use lots of cues from The Wolfman because okay. it was so great and original. Yeah, it's great. And then the Harry logo, it's behind the forest. Yeah. Or it's in front it's of the forest. It's in, for- in front of the forest. And then we get opening credits like a TV show, which really <laughs> was like I thought was really great, but um, was very unexpected. Our old friend Claude Rains shows up. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that Bella Lugosi was also in this movie. Yeah. So it was nice to see that, but I didn't catch anyone's names, their character names. Their character names are there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because later on I asked you, right, what is Bella Lugosi's name? And you were like, Bella the Gypsy and I said (laughs) no and you said yes yes so we get the rest of our credits panning over a foggy wooded area which I really really love which we find out later is the woods and the marsh area located pretty much adjacent around Talbot Castle yeah Talbot Castle Mr. Laddie I also noted that uh, Vera West does gowns. Her name pops up a lot. Yeah, she does all the gowns for the Universal movies throughout the uh, late 30s and 40s. They're Uh, always gorgeous. Yeah, she does a great job. She's one of the... There's lots of names you will remember that we don't really talk about, but you see on all the credits. Vera Mm -hmm. West, Ted Kent, who edits all these movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jack Pierce, of course, we do talk a lot about. But yeah. So we start with a close-up on a little mini library, a collection of books maybe encyclopedia dictionary Mm -hmm. and the book opens to lycanthropy or werewolfism yes we get some wonderful exposition regarding lycanthropy as it pertains to this movie what i really like about this opening is it reminds me of the classic disney openings it's very reminiscent of that yeah yeah it says that it's a disease of the mind where a person will imagine that they are a werewolf or sorry it says Wolfman. Then it tells us that this is a superstition that has a very high occurrence at Talbot Castle. Uh, yeah, you they, find the people around there believe in this and they have the most sightings of these wolfmen. It's almost as if this book is from the future mm-hmm. uh, and it's basically referencing the story we are about to watch. Oh. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. I kind of took it, though, that it was just something that they didn't really talk about. Mm. Especially because uh, we find out pretty quickly that the brother was killed in a hunting accident. And, like, they go out on hunts, and it feels like they go by that marsh, and what if there are... Yeah. But then the werewolf is introduced by gypsies, so... Mm. Yeah, th- that's that's why I don't think that, because the gypsies bring in the werewolves. But, uh, but gypsies they, always show up. They do. They did talk about how they show up all the time. Yeah, I just kind of think it's referencing the story we are about to watch also because they don't really say it's kind of a fairy tale, but it's hard to place exactly what era we're in. It is a fantasy world because as we find out, the movie begins with them driving in a car and they're wearing modern day clothing for the time. There's Mm -hmm. telescopes, but then we also get the gypsy world and tents and wagons going around, which seems like it's from a bygone era. So it's this weird mesh of present day 1940s to the old world. I suppose, 
But they're gypsies, which kind of excuses and explains a wagon because you went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we meet these two men that are in a car driving to Talbot Castle. Talbot Castle, Mr. Larry. One of them is Larry Talbot or Mr. Larry. And when they get to the castle, they are welcomed by his father, who's played by Claude Rains, who I frankly think is they're very close in age. Are they not? Claude Rains is 17 years older than Lon Chaney Jr. So yeah, he could have been his father, I suppose. But uh, there has been some talk that, you know, it, it is kind of not the best casting. <laughs> like, Well, no. And then there... This huge, hulking American coming from this tiny Englishman. But the fact that they say he's been gone for so long kind of... Explains how ex- large he is? Well, expl- <laughs> explains <laughs> why he... He doesn't have his English accent and all yeah, that Yeah, I kind of gathered that when they're like, he's been to America. Yeah. <laughs> but just... I digress. Um, well. Oh, I, I did want to say, the first three cuts of this movie has so many great shots. One, when they're driving in the car, you have a great processed shot with a film playing in the background. Mm-hmm. Then it cuts to a miniature of Talbot Castle. Mm-hmm. And then when they get to Talbot Castle, it's a wonderful matte painting. So you have three different processes that they do to to build this world all in the span of maybe 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. He's also introduced to the chief constable who's actually a childhood friend. His name is Paul and they have a little bit of banter back and forth or just a conversation, not banter. Yeah. They used to snatch apples together. They did. We used to snatch apples together. (laughs) Larry offers condolences to his father, over his brother John, who was killed in a hunting accident. Father, I'm sorry about John. Your brother's death was a blow to all of us. Larry's been estranged from the house or from the home for 18 years. He's been in the U.S. Yeah. When he gives his condolences for the loss of his brother John, they cut to a painting of John Talbot, uh, Larry's brother, who... Looks just like Lon Chaney Jr. I guess they were twins. Oh, I thought that was his painting. No, that was the brother that died. And uh, they had to have been twins. Yeah, (laughs) but that's a great prop. I kind of want that on my wall. Oh, no, no hard pass. Um, (laughs) They go to the attic to go check out the observatory that his father has been building. They've just received the shipment um, that's part of a telescope. Uh, a, new, a new lens. Yes. So Larry puts that together. They have this very weird relationship because they've been estranged for 18 years, but he keeps calling his dad, sir. And um, his dad does make a really <laughs> weird, stiff agreement with him that they'll be more affectionate and more involved with each other um, to kind of make up for those 18 years. Larry, let's decide you and I that between us, There should be no more such reserve. I'll do everything that I can, sir. Well, that should be considerable. But it's... I don't buy that they're father and son. There's something off about them interacting interacting until the end when it's very (laughs) (laughs) one-sided. Yes, you do get more of it by the end. But what I gather is his father is very stern. He says uh, Probably sent him to military school or something like that. But to me, I could feel the love behind Claude Rains's, uh persona as well. Like, it feels very real to me to have a father like that, which is stern, not capable of really showing his emotions that well, 
but you could still see the love in his eyes and and you could read the love behind what he says. I'm not saying that that isn't present coming from Claude Rains. I'm yeah. just saying that when they interact, yeah. There's no emotion that's connecting between the two of them if it be them being awkward mm-hmm. and trying to figure out and suss each other out. I don't feel that. It's just two people saying words at each other. Yeah. Larry puts together this telescope and the men they test it out by looking around and they're able to see into the village that's down below. Yeah, which is the great universal backlot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great line here that I love where Larry is talking about he's good with tools, but with astronomy, he's just pretty much of an amateur. Mm-hmm. But do you remember what Sir John says? Mm-mm. All astronomers are amateurs. If it comes to the heavens, there's only one professional. Oh. Meaning? God. God. As Larry is looking through, he's peeking down at the town and taking a look at what everyone is doing. There's a window that catches his eye above an antique store. There is a young woman in this window getting ready. Yeah, and the music is so lovely here. It's this wonderful, heartfelt, upbeat music. And he's so excited to see her. He focuses and zooms in a little bit. And then what I love is he goes beyond the telescope like she's standing right there to reach out towards her. (laughs) But obviously she's not there. Um, He decides that he's going to go down to the town, though, and meet her. We find out that this is Gwen, and she works in this shop. This shop is owned by her father. He shows up, and he pretends to look for earrings. He describes some earrings that she has in her room that he saw through the telescope. Yeah, half moon shaped with dangles, golden. And she's a little um, flustered by this. She tries to figure out how exactly he saw that, and he ends up offering to buy a cane instead. As long as I can't have the earrings, perhaps I'll buy a cane, huh? When she asks him how he knows, he ends up telling her that he is psychic. So when he offers to buy a cane instead, did you catch the little bit of foreshadowing? What, like when they describe the cane? Well, the first, the second cane. Oh, no. So the first cane she pulls out, you know, she says, how about this one? Solid gold top. And he's like, no, that won't do. So she pulls up another one and it's a little dog head. And she says, how about a little dog? That'll suit you. And he's going to turn into the wolf. Gotcha. (laughs) And then, of course, he picks up the third one and says, make a great putter. There's one. Make a good putter. (laughs) Yes, it would. He does. She pulls out a wolf cane, which has a wolf and a star on it. He describes it as a wolf and a star. And she tells him that it is a wolf and a pentagram, the sign of a werewolf. Werewolf? What's that? Yeah. And do you remember how much that was priced at? I believe she said three pounds, which was $15. Three pounds? $15 for an old stick? Um, she then recites a werewolf poem. Mm-hmm. That we end up hearing a few times throughout this. I will yeah. say, a lot of poets in this uh, in this movie. Yeah. Um, we hear two poems yeah, I, uh, multi- uh, multiple times. Do you remember how this one goes? No, do you? Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night. May become a wolf when the wolf bang blooms and the autumn moon is bright. So you know that one too, huh? yeah Gwen Conliff says it here and uh, later two other characters will say it again it's a great poem love it that's what it leads me to believe that that book already knew because why would these people that live in this town know so much about werewolves or have this little poem that's true she also says that a pentagram appears on the next victim's hands 
Mm-hmm. Um, he then goes on to ask her if she'll go on a walk with him that evening, and she declines. As they're talking, they hear some coaches outside. So they go outside and there are gypsies and fortune tellers coming through during this time he's asked her out again for a third time and she says no Uh, he then says after she tells him about the gypsies that he's never had his fortune read and asks her out again to go get his fortune read she says no and he says great pick you up at eight fine i'll be here at eight When the gypsies are rolling in, it starts out with a sort of medium shot, and you can see it is Maliva and Bela the Gypsy, Mm -hmm. uh, played by Maria Ospinskaya and Bela Lugosi. But in the wide shot, you can see their stand-ins. It's not really them. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not notice that. He's back at home now, and he's talking to his father about werewolves. And his dad now recites this poem back to him. Yeah, he says, You were the man who was pure and hot. (laughs) (laughs) They talk about how he needs to get to know the people of the village and get to know more about the land because he's been gone for so long. And earlier they had a conversation about, I guess I'll say like succession in the family and how now that his brother is gone, he is going to have to take care of the estate once his dad is gone or retires. Yeah, I'm not really sure of the standing that the Talbots have in the town, but they are obviously looked up to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like a Frankenstein thing. It's like that's the family. Yeah, that's the richest family here. Yeah, they're probably the ones that employ the most, have the most political power. Yeah, the shop is now closed. It is eight p.m. and it's a foggy night. Gwen walks out and she's wearing the earrings that Larry had talked about earlier. And yeah. She's seems a little flustered that he's not there but he pops out and kind of gives her a little bit of a scare yeah she she acts like she doesn't want him to come yet she wears the earrings and she's there right at eight o'clock all alone waiting they talk about how they want to get their fortune told and Mm -hmm. she's kind of playing with them saying oh no no and he says well i am afraid of the dark and then my favorite line when he says you see i wore my cane too i like that he wears a cane (laughs) okay so i have a problem with this cane I understand that it is a fashion cane, Yeah. but he truly does not use this cane in any capacity other than to carry this cane. (laughs) Well, that's what it is. It's for fashion. But even then, when he's standing, put the cane down. (laughs) Lean on that cane. I think he does lean on it for a little bit here in this scene. Yeah, because uh, someone shows up. And who shows up? Jenny. Jenny, Gwen's good friend. This is Jenny Williams. She wants to have a fortune told, too. Yes, she crashes their party as a a little buffer security blanket, I guess, that Gwen has set up. Yeah, and and Larry is so upset. You could just hear it when she introduces herself and he says, Uh, Just call me Larry. (laughs) Yeah, he's a little bummed out. Um, But she wants to also get her fortune read. And this scene where he says, Just call me Larry, I think he's leaning on the cane here. Oh, okay. So they all take off on their way to the gypsy camp to go get their fortune read. On the way, they pass this big old bushel bush of wolfsbane. Wolfsbane. And Jenny picks it and she recites the werewolf poem. Even a man who is pure and hot. <laughs> <laughs> I also put down that it's a very foggy night. I really love the fog effect in this movie. Yeah, it's, the fog, the, the whole 
thing is shot wonderfully. Yeah, it's a very pleasant movie to look at. Now they're at the gypsy camp, and Bella the gypsy shows up, Bela the gypsy, and he's played by Bela the ghosty. <laughs> Bela the ghosty? <laughs> Bela the ghosty. <laughs> Bela Lugosi. He takes Jenny in to read her cards. I will not disappoint you, my lady. Gwen and Larry end up going off for a walk after a little bit of coursing, I guess. He just pretty much convinces her to go for a walk. We didn't come down to listening on Jenny, did we? No. Well, maybe if you took a little walk with me, I could tell your fortune. She's not mad at it. She's into flirting with him. Yeah. He tells her finally about the telescope and how he saw her she, i think she's a little put off and says that she'll draw the curtains and he's like no kind of in a way like no i didn't mean to look at you i promise yeah. not to do it again um it, that's just how i saw you she says i'll be sure to draw my curtains next time and he says no don't do that and then she kind of makes a face and he's like well I mean, don't do it on account of me. Well, he's kind of flubbing over his words. Oh, yeah, totally. And he just says, well, you know what I mean. And then she coyly says, yes, I'm afraid I do. Okay. <laughs> I do like their chemistry. Yes, it's very uh, hot and heavy. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> I just, your voice never drops like that for anything. And Ooh. you're just really into Larry Talbot and Ooh. Gwen. Ooh. Oh, she ends up revealing that she is engaged. She is engaged to a gentleman that we'll meet later on named Frank. Yep. And we'll find out a little bit about him later. Then we cut back to Jenny with Gypsy Bela. And she asks if he knows when she'll get married. And it was a little confusing when this happened. I had to have you rewind it. Um, just because he seemed real annoyed by this question. But then he looks at the table and there's the wolfsbane on it. He grabs all of it and throws it on the ground. And then he grabs at his head and he just seems like he's so pained. Yeah, he's so pained and he just kind of, you know, like how someone would do when they put their head down and just wipe their hair back. Yes, and when he does that, he reveals a scar on his head that's in the shape of a star. I don't know if it is supposed to be an actual scar that that everyone can see or if it's just the pentagram showing itself because only to the viewer and we know now that he is affected he then tells her about her hands your left hand shows your past your right hand shows your future so when he looks into her right hand he sees the pentagram in her hand encased in a circle he tells her that he can't help her anymore that night that she needs to come back tomorrow night and then he tells her that she needs to leave go quickly go the older gypsy lady that we had seen earlier a little bit is taking note of how freaked out or unsettled bella is there's also a horse that was pulling his cart earlier uh that horse is definitely freaking out yeah jenny takes off running and as she's running through the marshy forest area we hear a howl and then we hear her scream larry and gwen are together in the same area and larry tells gwen to hang back and he's gonna go check it out they both end up running over just a little delayed from each other when larry finally reaches jenny she's being attacked by a wolf and he goes to wrestle it and they have like you know they fight yeah and the initial shot of the wolf attacking jenny it's very scary it's almost in silhouette kind of a 
faraway shot, the wolf is just kind of eating away at her corpse at this point. Like it's she's a down. dog, right? So it's a dog. It was really used. a dog, yes. Yeah. But what's funny is if you play the movie frame by frame, when Larry appears and has the fight with the dog, at first it's a dog, but then when it cuts, it's a man in all black. Which I never knew until someone pointed that out uh-huh. some within the last few years. And now, like, I could just see it every time because I know it's very fast. No one would ever know unless you could play it frame by frame. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure why they did that, but they did for some reason. Maybe they didn't want him to wrestle a dog. He ends up subduing the wolf behind a tree and then uh, beats it to death with his cane. Yeah. He, in the process, gets bitten on the chest and Gwen finds him on the ground she is kind of just holding on to him and the old gypsy lady is rolling by um she's shown up to help gwen calls him over and she says that she's here to take him home yeah there's a great shot of believa here because she asks what happens and gwen says he was bitten by a wolf and then you get this shot it's just believa looking straight ahead kind of her eyes go down and you know what she's thinking you know that she feels sorry for this poor soul that is going to have to endure what bale has been going through mm-hmm. now we're back at talbot castle and uh larry arrives with gwen and the gypsy woman who then promptly disappears as they're surrounded by his father and uh, various other men yeah a gentleman who i believe his name was tweedle tittle mr twiddle mr twiddle yeah. He shows up and says that Jenny has been found murdered. Jenny Williams! What about her? She's been murdered, sir. <laughs> I like Paul Montford's uh, reaction here. He's like, uh, Wolf, gypsy woman, murder? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> I will say that Gwen has no emotion or reaction to finding out that Jenny is dead. She doesn't say anything. She's so busy and wrapped up. She's completely forgotten about her friend. <laughs> yeah, she kind of has. Completely. Yeah, that's too bad. Paul then takes off back with Mr. Twiddle. Twiddle. They go to investigate what happened. Do you recognize Mr. Twiddle? No. He is from another monster movie. Can you think of it? Mm-mm. He played the innkeeper in The Invisible Man, the husband of Uno Connor. Oh, I think I can see all that right in his face. <laughs> yeah. They find Bella the Gypsy bludgeoned to death with Larry's cane right next to him in the forest. They also have a doctor with them that talks about how Jenny died, as well as what type of wounds killed Bella. Yeah. The next morning, we're with Larry and he is in bed. Paul arrives with Dr. Lloyd and he is carrying Larry's cane. Yeah. Uh, Larry says that he killed a wolf with it and they tell him about finding Bela there, but they didn't find a wolf's body. I only saw a wolf. He goes to show them the bite that he has on his chest, but it's all healed up. So everyone's pretty much side-eyeing him because everything that he has said has not come true. They found other evidence, other things. Yeah. Um, No wolf. Bela instead. No scar. Yeah. Paul wants to question him, but the doctor advises against it. And he tells Larry to rest. He needs a good rest. Which is really just such a movie trope where the doctor is definitely going to have you committed at some point when he's like, no, 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 
no. Well, you rest. <laughs> and Larry knows this. Like, oh, yeah. it, everyone knows it, this. It seems kind of fast for Larry to get so upset so fast, but, but he is. He's very upset because you can already tell they're not believing anything he says. Uh-huh. Don't try to make me believe that I killed a man when I know that I killed a wolf. Yes, yes. Larry thinks that they're treating him... Like a lunatic. Yep. And his father is just explaining it away, saying that it was an accidental death. He ends up talking to the doctor and Paul. The doctor says that Larry is mentally disturbed. The patient is mentally disturbed. Perhaps the shock did it. So here we start getting, going back to the lycanthropy insert that we saw Mm -hmm. earlier about how people are imagining these things happening to them. Right. Later... We see a coffin going through the town, and this is Bela's body that is going to be put into a crypt. Larry ends up visiting the coffin to look at the body in the crypt. When the gypsy woman shows up with a priest to talk about burial customs yeah, and it, what to do with them. Yeah, I believe he's, he's a minister, and he wants to bury him in a churchyard. But it's funny because... He's talking about how they want to bury Bela in the churchyard, and Maliva says they can't do that. They can't break break the customs of their tribe and all that. But what's funny, he's like, you and your pagan rituals, you guys come in singing and dancing. Like, that's so awful. <laughs> I hear your people are coming to town dancing and singing and making merry. Yeah, and she's like, yes, we do, and everyone's showing up tomorrow. So he leaves, and she talks to Bela's body. Uh, she's his mom, which I asked you, but then she says the same thing over and over again, and she calls Larry her son, and she's not his mother. <laughs> That's so I just true, feel like she's just an elder. She is the mother of of Bela, and there's a line in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman where Larry says to her, your own son Bela was a werewolf. So it kind of gives that helps a little bit more. So Maliva looks over the body and she has her great speech. The way you walk was thorny. Through no fault of your own. But as the rain enters the soil, the river enters the sea. So tears run to a predestined end. So this is now another poem. Yeah. And she ends up saying this about three times. Yeah. She tells him that now he'll find peace. And Larry is super torn up by this whole interaction. And he's watching from the shadows of the crypt. Yeah. When Believa leaves, uh-huh. uh, he comes by towards the coffin. And he just kind of breaks down over Bela. He does. Gwen and her dad are talking about Jenny. and Back she, at the shop. Yes, back at the shop. Um, she feels very guilty about leaving her friend, which... I'm glad that she's acknowledged that she really did just leave her friend there. Yeah. I mean, she's not responsible for her death in any way, shape, or form, but she truly did forget about her friend. Jenny's mother shows up, and uh, she shows up with a whole harem of ladies, (laughs) and uh, they come to really give Gwen a piece of their mind. They want to find out why she was walking with this man when she's an engaged woman, um, and what she was doing leaving her friend alone instead of being with her the entire time. They're there to put all the blame on her. They they are, and they are not the best people. Jenny's mother's awful. Yes, very much so. I want to know what she was doing while my little Jenny was being murdered. I'll tell you what she was doing. All right, tell me. Larry shows up. Yeah, he interrupts them. He does, and he has a confrontation with Jenny's mom, who then, you know, decides that she's going to say a few more words, but be very freaked out by Larry and 
Um, her and her friends end up leaving. He goes to see Gwen in the parlor and he offers her condolences about her friend. Gwen asks what happened and he pretty much gives her a really quick little breakdown of all the events. She says that maybe there wasn't a werewolf and that he was just thinking about it because she had told him about it earlier. Why does everyone always insist I'm confused? Yeah, he gets a little defensive (laughs) about that. And just as they're talking, her fiancé, Frank, arrives. Um, He has a dog with him. And as he's being introduced to Larry, the dog is barking and growling. She tells him to take the dog outside. As he steps out for a second, she tells Larry that Frank works as a groundskeeper at Talbot Castle. Oh, Frank comes back in and Larry introduces himself again um, and offers his hand to shake. Yeah, he's trying really hard to be nice to him. He says, glad to know you, Frank. Frank won't shake his hand because Frank is very much distracted by the cane that is in Larry's hand. I'm sorry, but I couldn't take my eyes off that walking stick of his. I don't know if you remember, but when they came to the body of Bela, Frank was the one that that found the cane that gave it to Paul. So... He knows that that is a potential murder weapon. It's just kind of freaking him out. He warns her about Larry and says that there's something very tragic about him and that nothing but harm will come to her if she is with him. There's something very tragic about that man. I'm sure that nothing but harm will come to you through him. Now we cut to the Gypsy Festival for Bela, and they're having a grand old party. Frank and Gwen are there, and it's almost like a carnival atmosphere. It's very bizarre to me that they would show up so excited to be at someone's death festival. I I didn't get that that was put on for Bela. I just figured that was, you know, they came to this area to sort of set up shop and have their sort of business. So I just figured this was a regular night for them. I don't know, but... I just assumed because earlier the minister was like, you can't throw your gypsy death party. And (laughs) the mom was like, we're going to throw our gypsy death party. Yeah. So I assumed this was the party. Yeah, it could be. Well, but I mean, you're probably right. So Frank and Gwen are there. And then Larry is there as well. Larry spots them and quickly tries to hurry away. But Frank also spots him and says that he wants to say hello to Larry because he wants to prove that he's not jealous. And I kind of believe him. Like Frank's not a bad guy. No. They end up having a very friendly game of shoot. I don't know. <laughs> what is it called? Target? Well, it's shooting gallery. <laughs> like at Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, one of those old arcade games where you have a, a Listen, gun. I only want to see Marty McFly play this, <laughs> play this game. Yeah, so they each uh, grab a rifle and Larry goes first and little pop-up figures up here. Yep, and Larry's really good at killing all the things, um, (laughs) but then a wolf shows up. And Larry looks like he's going to cry killing this wolf. Yeah, he's so tortured by this wolf he's looking at, and it's really a neat-looking wolf. I like that drawing a lot. It is. It's a good little cutout. Um, But yeah, it triggers something in him, and he's very uncomfortable. Yeah, and then Frank says something that he should have known better not to say. He knows what Larry's going through, and he says... Go ahead and shoot before he bites you. Yeah. He should have known better. Yeah, that was kind of jerky. But he goes ahead and he shoots it for Larry. And Larry's like, I gotta go. And he pieces out. 
And uh, his father and Paul Muntford are, are shadowing yeah. Larry, making sure he's okay. And they're, you know, they're just commenting throughout saying, he's unstrung. You know? Larry walks away and encounters Bela's mom. She tells him that she was expecting him, but expecting him a lot sooner than he's appeared. She tells him to go into her little tent and she tells him about Bela becoming a wolf and reveals that that is the wolf that Larry killed. Bela became a wolf, and you killed him. Yeah, she is telling him basically everything that we know Mm -hmm. to be fact that Bela was a wolf he did kill a wolf but it was Bela and I like this scene a lot and I think Lon Chaney is really good in this scene just how confused he is that he just doesn't understand and he's like what huh what (laughs) (laughs) she then gives him a pentagram to help kind of keep the spell at bay she says to wear it and that it'll bring him protection Oh, and then she also tells him that whoever is bitten by the wolf will also become a wolf. Yeah. She asks... Oh, and then she says, Do you dare to show me the wound? And that's when he goes, Huh? What's the word to you? I'll give you... To show me the wound. What? Yeah, that's what I was about to say, that she asks to see the wound. Yeah. And he reluctantly shows it to her. She tells him immediately to leave. The gypsy mom then goes to tell everyone in the camp about the werewolf situation and everyone very hurriedly starts to pack up and leave larry runs into gwen who is frankless (laughs) (laughs) because they had a little bit of a fight yeah she sees the charm around his neck and they talk about him being a werewolf and he says that he's going to hurt her so she he gives her the charm for protection gwen i won't need this i want you to have it It'll protect you. She does not believe him. Uh, she offers to give him like a penny or something for it. Yeah. And uh, he then uh, plants a big old kiss on her. Yeah, he says that isn't enough. And then they kiss. Yes. And uh, then, then she runs away. Yeah, because there's a big ruckus. All the gypsies are freaking out, trying to pack up. And he says, hey, 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 what's going on? And one of the gypsies says, The werewolf in camp. Which is funny. They travel with Bela this whole time. They know there's there's been a werewolf in the camp the whole time. Why are they freaking out just now? Maybe she worded it like there's a new werewolf. <laughs> and ba- they were like, no, we can't deal with a new one. Yeah, they're like, the old were- werewolf didn't kill any of us. He was just our pet. So. <laughs> Larry then has, I really like this, a really crazy vision before he runs home, which just has a little bit of everything in it. Yeah, it's, it's really great. He looks to the camera and then his image almost turns into a i don't know if it's a painting of himself or he looks weird all of a sudden it's like and that part in alice in wonderland right before she wakes up yeah yeah it is mm-hmm. um but i always thought larry looked like especially strange in this scene but you see all of his thoughts on what's going on and you see like flashes of the pentagram wolfbane going by uh, a wolf's head you see jenny i believe a scared looking gwen and it's really great, and then it fades out. Yes. He runs home. And I made a note that he carries this cane that he's not using. I guess when you're running, it's kind of hard to have this third leg, but <laughs> still. He gets home, and he immediately starts to check on himself and removes his clothing. This is a very tense scene, and the music really adds to the suspense and builds it up. 
they have this same sort of effect in the Bride of Frankenstein score where they kind of place a little heartbeat in the back of it. Mm. So it's this music that's kind of slow but building. But in the background, during that, you hear... And it's just kind of this building anticipation. He ends up checking his legs and his legs are kind of kind of hairy sporadically hairy but then this is how we get our transformation scene from him which i'm kind of bummed that it wasn't his face yeah but this (laughs) this is one of the great scenes he takes his shirt off and he's in his undershirt and he sits down on the chair and well he looks in the mirror first and he touches his face looking to see for extra hair and he's like oh this is just in my imagination then he sits down and he's just like thinking for a second he's like wait i feel some bristles on my legs and he pulls his pants up to see his leg and he does this move that i used to always imitate when i was a kid i would sit cross-legged and then i'd look at my leg and i would grab my leg with both hands as if to stop the growth which is what he's doing so he's finally succumbs to the transformation leans back and we just see his legs transform as he said yes and i always liked it because you could see you know they do their lap dissolves of a little bit of makeup and more hair a little bit more and then it gets a little bit more blurry for a second and in that moment they slipped the little wolfman boot on (laughs) so i did really laugh because then he's on tiptoes he's on his little tippy toes yeah one of the great effects of the wolfman you see his feet a lot in this movie because he walks away from this scene and then it cuts to him in the woods showing his feet and he's on his tiptoes they built a special boot for him that wouldn't allow him to be flat-footed yes so he tiptoes through the woods and now he has a whole new outfit he has new pants <laughs> on he's got a new shirt on yeah it's a continuity error that mm-hmm. lots of people point out you know because he was wearing a tank top before yeah so I guess as the Wolfman, he put on new clothes, which we did see Henry Hull do in Werewolf of London. But <laughs> true, he's a very snazzy looking wolf. But uh, yeah, he's a werewolf now, and there's a man digging in the cemetery. It's Richardson. So we hear some howling, and he spots Werewolf Larry peeking at him behind a tree. Then uh, Larry does come in for the attack. I like how that's done. You hear some snarling and then you see him lunge at him and stuff. Yeah, it's a great sequence. You hear the wolf howl and you see Richardson look through the fog and you could see in the distance the wolf man. We hear a howling then again that wakes up the entire town. Did you hear that, Mr. Twiddle? Of course I did. Otherwise, I'd be snug and warm in bed. Paul heads out with Mr. Twiddle to go check out what is happening. They end up finding Richardson's body and Paul finds wolf tracks around him, which really perplexes them. The next morning, we get this great like panning through this room that happens to belong to Larry. And there are some muddy tracks that come up through the windowsill and go through the room to Larry, who is sleeping on the bed. He wakes up confused, and I think he's confused about his wardrobe because he definitely touches everything. And he seems a little (laughs) like, wait, when did I put this on? And he looks at his scar and we see the star scar where the wolf bit him. He sees the tracks and he starts to try to rub them away and clean them up. 
And as he's doing that, he looks out and he sees that Paul is coming through the garden area. I don't know what it's called, um, but he's definitely following the tracks and to the Talbot Castle. Yeah, he's right outside the window. Larry kind of ducks down and hides behind a wall so that he won't see him looking out. He then talks to his father, who tells him that Richardson was found dead. And they talk about the lycanthropy. Yeah, Larry's very interested in it and wants to know his father's opinions on it if he believes it's possible for a man to turn into a wolf. And he basically says something to the effect of, you know, he believes anything is possible in someone's head but to take the physical attributes of a wolf no it's fantastic no it's fantastic he then tells them that going to church might help him a little bit so they take off to go join everyone at church when they get to church right before they get there we end up seeing that jenny's good old mother is standing outside and she is really just kind of crap talking larry to everyone larry and gwen end up running into each other with their fathers and they have the slightest conversation outside of the church but then they go inside at this point the the entire congregation is sat down and uh they all turn around to look at larry which really makes them uncomfortable and he ends up leaving yeah i've always really liked this scene the camera pans down each pew and as the camera reaches one everyone looks back until everyone is looking at larry and then finally claude rains uh, sir john talbot he's sitting in the front row and he looks around him and kind of sees everyone's looking and he looks back with them it's like well, why is everyone looking at larry and you feel so bad for larry but anytime i've been in a church I make a point to look behind me in the same way, imagining Larry standing at the end of the aisle. <laughs> Paul, the doctor, Frank, and the dad have a conversation about what to do, which then Larry shows up and tells them that it was not a wolf and that it's a werewolf that caused uh, Richardson's death. The doctor tells Larry that a man could convince himself that he's a werewolf being influenced by outside forces, other people's stories, and tells him that if a person wants to cooperate and wants to be cured of it, that they could be cured of it if they sought professional help. He then tells Larry to go rest. <laughs> Doctor, I've got to talk to you later. Now I want you to go and get some rest. And he tells him all the time. Larry leaves and the doctor ends up talking to uh, Sir John, the dad, and tells him that he's sick and that he must be sent away from the castle. The dad wants like shock therapy or something a little bit less. He's just refusing to send him off. He wants to get this over and done with now. Yes, and he will not let this get the best of his son. Frank and Paul are overseeing some bear traps being put out because now they have a plan that they're actually going to hunt it down. So they've set up like a little shooting platform and have set traps up around the estate to catch the werewolf. It's now nighttime and we hear a wolf howl. And then we see him tiptoeing around and he <laughs> tiptoes into a bear trap. Yep. The search party then takes off in the direction of the howling that they hear with dogs. And he's trying to get away and he's struggling to get out of the bear trap. Yeah, he's very aggressive here. Good acting by Lon Chaney. Yep. And somehow the search party loses the trail, which gives the gypsy woman a little bit of time to show up and help out Larry. Yeah, Larry or the wolf man through his exhaustion or pain, 
whatever it might be, he passes out from being caught in this trap and Maliva shows up. Yeah, she says the poem. The way you walked was thorny. (laughs) (laughs) That she says to Bella. And he turns back to a human here. Is it because she said this to him? I always figured so. Okay. Um, He wakes up and she tells him that she's here to help. He tries to run away, but now he's Limpy McLimperson. And uh, the gentlemen that were heading in, in his direction end up catching up to him and ask him what he's doing. He says that he's also hunting and he hobbles away from them. <laughs> yeah, hunting without shoes and without a gun. And, <laughs> and he, Yeah, they and they just stare at him like, sure. Um, Well, they can't really question him because remember, he's high society. That's true. He goes to town and wakes up Gwen. He tells her that he needs to leave and she offers to leave with him because she wants to be with him. He tells her that he killed Richardson and Bella. I killed Bella. I killed Richardson. If I stay around here much longer, you can't tell who's going to be next. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? And then I always like this shot because... He kind of has a bowl cut. I always thought he looked like Mo Howard. <laughs> Why you? She shows him that she still has the charm that he gave her. She says that that will protect her just like he said it would. As he's looking at her, he looks at her hands. The pentagram shows up on it. So he runs away from her. Another terrific acting performance by Lon Chaney, just being scared out of his mind, running away. <laughs> um, now we're back at Talbot Castle and he runs into his father. So he ends up talking to his dad and he shows his dad his scar and the dad says that any animal could have made that scar and he wants to help him get over his, I like how you put it, mental quagmire. <laughs> yeah. Larry, Larry, how can I help you get rid of this fear, this mental quagmire you've got yourself into? What can I say to you? He tells him that the gypsy woman has filled his head with nonsense. Yeah, and that he can't run away. The dad thinks that the woman caused him to believe that he is a werewolf. And <laughs> did you catch the office reference here? <laughs> it's not really an office reference, but when he says that he can't run away, Larry responds with, That's what she said. I did catch that and did actually, but yeah, that's very funny. Yes, actually, they did reference the office because they're like, Oh, in 90 years, whatever, there's going to be a show that everyone's going to love. He tells them that I'll help him figure this out. And not leave. He wants to show him that he is not the wolf man and that nothing can get to him. So he straps him to a chair and he's going to lock the door and, or sorry, bolt the door and lock the window. So here is really the prime moment where I feel like you see the love of Sir John towards Larry. Mm-hmm. Because Remember, he's stern, but he says things to him that is so comforting, saying, do you really think that I'm going to let them come in and pull you out of here? Like, he's protecting him, and he's doing Mm -hmm. this for his own good because he's convinced that this is all in his mind. So he wants to prove to him that he's not a wolf man. Again, I'm not doubting Claude Rains' acting ability. I just think there's no chemistry between (laughs) him and Lon Chaney Jr. I see differently than I do. Yeah, I just think that's the way it's written. But there is one point here, which I'm sure you'll say, where you see their 
relationship kind of bloom a little bit more here. It starts to here. It really does later. Well, it's because when he straps him to the chair and Larry says, you're going to stay with me, aren't you? And Claude says, or Sir John says, no, no, I got to, these people need me. I got to go out there and be part of it. And he says, dad, now this is the first time he has said dad. Mm -hmm. He has always said sir before. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of feel the scared little boy and he's worried about his dad. He says, dad, take the cane with you. Dad, what is it? Take the cane with you. Yeah. What do I want with the cane? Yeah, he is very... Just take it, will you? He's very vulnerable in this moment. And he's... I'm not saying he's not bad either. I just don't... Yeah. There's no chemistry between them until later. (laughs) Um, But one of them is not really participating in the scene. (laughs) Anywho, Larry tells him to take the cane with him. The dad wants to cure him of this and wants him to see that it's all in his mind. So he goes off by himself and ends up running into the gypsy woman. She tells him that he's not afraid of the night. And I really like their interaction where she's trying to show that this man is very no-nonsense. He believes in the only things that he can see. And he's not afraid of something until he has reason to be afraid of something. And I really like that, that she reads him immediately and says it right to his face. And she's sort of... um... What do you call it when like a detective is like questioning someone? Interrogating? Yeah, she's sort of interrogating him at this point Mm -hmm. because he's been out for a little while hunting and he has gone off on his own now. And he runs into her and she says things to him like, were you worried about your son? Were you about to go back? Did you have a moment's doubt? Yeah. Like kind of feeding into something that could be in the back of his mind that maybe he does somewhat believe. Were you heading back to the castle? Did you have a moment's doubt? Were you heading to make sure he's all right? Yeah, she does end up asking him where he's going. And he says that he's going to be with Larry. And he's about to give a reason. But they are interrupted. They hear a ruckus. And they hear a gunshot. Yes, at the shooting platform that we saw earlier. They're shooting as a werewolf is roaming around. Gwen is now in the woods and she also runs into the gypsy woman because at this point, Larry's dad has taken off in the direction of the sound. The gypsy woman has stayed put and Gwen shows up. I wanted to say that this whole sequence, the music is really good here as the hunt is on. It's very thrilling. It's just building, gets more and more intense. And Maliva has a great line here to Gwen. She warns Gwen of what could happen if she keeps going um, and offers to help her pretty much get to where Gwen wants to get, but that she can help her get around. Like literally, if Gwen keeps going the same path that she's going through these woods, she will be attacked, but she can show her how to get where she needs to get by going around. And this gypsy woman really doesn't need to be helping any of these people. And she's so awesome and is like, come with me. Gwen's like, "Mm -mm, I got my own thing to do. And she takes off. Gwen says, I have to find Larry. And she says, come with me or he will find you. Yeah, I like that a lot. I've got to find him. Come with me or he will find you. She gets tracked by the werewolf and he takes off running after her. The hunters are running through the woods and the dad has the cane with him. 
the werewolf then attacks Gwen, which he then starts like strangling her. It's a pretty violent attack that he has. Yeah, he's pretty rough with her. And he's about to uh, do the final blow when someone shows up. His dad shows up. They end up getting into a fight where it's a pretty gnarly fight also, yep. where they wrestle around. And finally, Sir John is able to uh, subdue him and beat him with Larry's cane. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, again, the Wolfman is at least a foot taller Mm -hmm. than Sir John. But Sir John looks so worldly and looks like he would have the skills to actually fight a Wolfman. And you could see he's using his forearm to keep him back. So Mm -hmm. he's avoiding the bite of the Wolfman. And then he finally gets the upper hand and starts slamming that cane into him. Yeah, he really does. The gypsy woman appears and she recites the poem over the wolf the werewolf who then we watch the transformation of him transforming from the werewolf back into larry yeah this is the only time we get a transformation where we see his face a backwards transformation Mm -hmm. and i always thought it was funny because at one point it looks like larry talbot has an afro that's a very spiky wig (laughs) sir john ends up seeing this transformation and just as it's done the hunters show up gwen is alive and is being helped up by Frank. Paul then comes in and says that a wolf attacked her and Larry came to the rescue. The wolf must have attacked her and Larry came to the rescue. Yeah, he's he's putting two and two together of what must have happened because yes. no one's going to believe a werewolf story. But, you know, this whole time you could see the pain in Sir John's eyes and you could just tell he's questioning everything now. Yes. And this between this conversation that he has with the gypsy woman earlier when he starts talking about going to be with Larry because whatever his reason's about to be and here this is where I really feel like his dad starts to really have that love for his son and now his son is dead yep by by his own hand yes and Gwen screams out Larry's name Larry and then music swells the end Yeah, it's a very sad ending. It is a very sad ending. Which monster movies of the 30s and 40s like to tack on happy endings. I guess because the monster is the one that dies in this, they felt they didn't need to. But at the same time, you lose Larry. And, you know, Larry's a good guy. And it's very emotional. I get sad. I love Larry. I love the (laughs) Wolfman. And I love the movie. No Wolfman. What'd you think? Oh, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, it really is one of my favorites. I could watch it over and over again. Um, I like that we have a little bit of comedy from Mr. Twiddle. Yep. I love the Gypsy Woman's character. I think that the entire cast is very, very strong. Yeah. Um, it's one of the best ensembles of really, any of the monster movies. Yeah. I like the romance between Gwen and Leary. And... I like all of the conflicts. There isn't someone that is out to... There isn't like... I just... I like that there isn't the focus of a love triangle. There is a love triangle in this movie, but it's not the main focus. Right. And they're very believable. Yeah. It also was very real as opposed to some of the other movies where characters just seem to be thrown in for the purpose of a comic relief or to be the sexy guy. I feel like any of the setups that we got in this movie, there wasn't anything that wasn't addressed. I'm sure there was, but I nothing bothered me by the end of it. Nothing felt like it was useless um, information that we were given. Yeah. 
And yeah, so, and the effects I thought were really great and the sets are beautiful. Yeah, it's shot so great. What I love also is that even though several of these sets were pre-existing Universal sets, the movie does such a good job of taking you to different places that yeah. you don't get tired of staying in one set, which kind of happens in some of the movies of the 40s, I feel like. Mm. Where like the big climax, you know, only happens in one room where, you know, we're going to the castle, to the crypt, to the forest, to the cemetery, to Gwen's antique shop. It's just so many different places we visit. I just love everything about this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it was really great. I liked it a lot. Well, I got a lot to say about this movie. I know you do. You want to hear some history about the Wolfman? Sure. The Wolfman, 1941, Universal. Before we talk about the making of this movie, I think it only appropriate that we talk about werewolf movies before The Wolfman. Okay, I don't think there were very many. Well, the previous werewolves that we have witnessed is in Dracula, off screen, he turns into a wolf. Yes. What's that? Running across the lawn. Looks like a huge dog. Or a wolf. And then, of course, there was Werewolf of London, which was the uh, first time Universal did a big werewolf picture. Uh There also were some werewolf movies that were made by other production companies that Universal released in the silent days about werewolves. None of those exist anymore. And in 1915, there was a movie that was released called The Wolfman, but it had nothing to do about werewolves. Oh, what? What was it about? (laughs) You know how The Wolf of Wall Street is about like a wolf, like a guy that's like money hungry trying to... uh, So that's what that referred to. Not a werewolf, but someone that is is uh, doing what they can to, uh, you know. (laughs) And then in 1924, there were two movies that came out that year, both called The Wolfman. Again, it doesn't have anything to do about werewolves. Okay. And then in 1931, Robert Florey, remember him? He's the guy that was going to direct Frankenstein and then got the job kind of taken away from him. But in 1931, Robert Florey wrote a treatment for Boris Karloff called the Wolfman. Uh-huh. So that was Universal's first foray into making <laughs> The Wolfman. In 1933, they officially announced that Boris Karloff would star in The Wolfman. But by that time, executives had ordered that the script be rewritten because they wanted to avoid too many similarities between this script for The Wolfman and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was a big success at the end of 1931. Mm-hmm. That and a book that was very popular called Werewolf of Paris. So the script had to be rewritten. And with the new scripts, it kind of was taken too far away from the werewolf concept. And it just wasn't working out. So it was put on hold indefinitely because it lost its focus. Hmm. At that point, or eventually Robert Florey leaves Universal. Mm-hmm. It seems like whatever he did, they didn't want to do. They kept okay. changing his script. And what was left of what he had written for that version of The Wolfman sort of became Werewolf of London. Then George Wagner comes by. He ended up directing this version of The Wolfman. Okay. And he hired Kurt Siodmak to write a gothic tale. And he already had the title The Wolfman because The Wolfman was already a title saved in the Universal Vaults and the previous scripts were there. Kurt Siodmak didn't use any of the previous scripts, especially since a lot of it went to Werewolf of London. Mm -hmm. So Kurt Siodmak had this 
task of writing this movie. So all he had so far was he had the title, The Wolfman, and he knew what the cast was going to be. The cast was already put together before a script was written. Oh, really? Like the actors? Yeah. You know, people were on contract. They knew they wanted to get these people in, in these movies. They gotcha. knew they wanted to have, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. kind of build him into a into a horror star. Seodbach had seven weeks to write the screenplay, and he did, and he did several different versions of it. He researched legends and folklore, but a lot of the stuff that's in the script, he just made up on his own. Oh. Lots of stuff that today is thought to be legend in folklore is just stuff that he made up. Lots of people think that the poem, even a man who is pure in heart, is fr- is an old folklore legend, but that's another thing he just came up with. He just with. made it up. Yeah. It's so well done. Yeah, it's great. And what's great about that poem, too, is in every sequel, it slightly changes, which I don't know if that was intentional, but it kind of makes it neat. Like, as the years go by, it kind of morphs into something else. Yeah, because every, I mean, things usually end up changing anyway, especially if they're word of mouth and it's like a game of telephone. Yeah. So meanings change and interpretations change. And right. People change word, yeah. Well, like, in in this movie, what was the one thing that was missing in this movie that is in most werewolf movies? There's no mention or sh- any shots of a full moon. Oh, yeah, huh? In the poem, they say an autumn moon. Mm-hmm. In the sequels, we get more of the full moon, and they change the line in the poem from the autumn moon is bright to the moon is full and bright. Mm. So it's kind of changing as it goes. It's, mm-hmm. it's very interesting. And then there's the great speech that Maliva says after uh, Bela dies and Larry dies to kind of put them at peace. And again, that speech goes as follows. The way you walk is thorny. <laughs> normal. Through no fault of your own. For as the rain enters the soil and evil enters the sea, so tears run to their predestined end. Your suffering is over. Now find peace for eternity, my son. So that speech was based on Harmatia. Do you know what harmatia is? No. In ancient Greek tragedies, harmatia means that a person must suffer by the whim of the gods, though he has not committed a crime. So that was sort of an idea that Kurt Seodbach had for his theme of the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. When Kurt Seodbach originally wrote the script, he didn't want the Wolfman to be seen. Remember how at the beginning of the movie they talked about this might just be in, in one's mind? Yeah. He wanted to keep it ambiguous so the viewer didn't know if it was just in his mind. Mm. And he wanted it so you would only see the Wolfman in reflections, I think in a mirror and in like a pool of water. When, whenever he looks at himself, uh-huh. he could see a werewolf, but we don't see a werewolf at, at any other point. Okay. And that could have worked, but for Universal, they want a monster. So that's that's what they want. No time for mind games, yeah. only literal. So the original script, the main characters, they had different names. Larry Talbot was originally called Donald Hill. <laughs> and Gwen Conliffe, she was Daphne Stokes. You like Daphne Stokes? Uh, no. <laughs> so in the original script, when Donald or Larry, finds out that he's a werewolf, he gets on a train to leave England, mm-hmm. and then lightning strikes a bridge up ahead, which causes the train to stop and cancels his uh, his exit. Uh-huh. So Donald goes back, and he finds Frank, Gwen's, or yeah. Daphne at this point. The groundskeeper. Her, yeah, her uh, fiancé. And he tells Frank that he's a werewolf, 
Daphne, or Gwen, gives Don back the silver amulet that he gave her, and he melts it down and turns it into a silver bullet. And he gives that silver bullet to Frank, just in case. So there's a big finale where, you know how we have the whole finale in the woods right now, in the current version? Yes. In this original version, the climax would have taken place inside of Gwen's house, where the wolfman crashes through a window, and he first has a fight with Frank's dog named Peter. Uh Uh-huh. And then after he defeats the dog, he goes and fights... (laughs) Defeats the dog. (laughs) He goes and fights Frank, and they have a a big fight, and Frank shoots him a bunch of times to no avail. And then Frank is on the ground, and he has the silver bullet, and he's about to put the silver bullet in. And as the wolfman jumps towards him, he gets one shot off, and he kills the wolfman right there. And the wolfman says, thanks for the bullet. Thanks for the bullet. It was the only way. (laughs) Thanks for the bullet. In the next draft, the name was changed, not to Larry Talbot, but to Larry Gill. And there was this scene that was written that I think would have been great, and I wish it was in the final cut. Oh. Remember when Larry goes to the church and follows the casket of Bela, and he goes to look at him and all that? There was a scene... This was uh, Bela's funeral. Remember, he opens up the coffin to look at him. Uh-huh. In this initial script, when he looks at Bela in the coffin, he has a hideous grin on his face. Ooh. And he has the pentagram on his forehead. And he's just staring right in the eyes of Larry. Uh-huh. Then the script calls for a POV of Bela the Gypsy. So the camera is put inside the coffin and you see all the stuff that is happening as he's being carried to somewhere else and he's walking through the graveyard. And then you see Maliva lean over and look into the camera and say her, the way you walked is thorny poem. Then it cuts back to Bela and he no longer has the hideous grin. He just is at peace. And that would have been really neat, I think, and scary. Also in this script, when Larry goes to the church, he would see a stained glass window that depicts the temptation of St. Anthony. And in that stained glass window, there would be creatures surrounding St. Anthony. And one of the creatures was a wolf. And Larry kind of focuses in on that wolf and the tongue starts to move. And then he runs away scared. That would have been pretty interesting. And then the finale... The whole thing happens. He gets killed. And then you see Larry and he has a hideous grin on his face. And you see his POV. And Maliva comes over him and says, you know, her line. And then he's now in peace. And then Gwen comes up and she looks into the camera and she says, look, he's smiling. And then she has Wolfbane that she picked up and she she puts it over his eyes or over the camera lens as it fades to black. I think that could have been really neat. Interesting. But I love the ending we got anyway. Mm -hmm. So one of the big reasons that the script did change from that was because lots of changes were made on the suggestion of Claude Rains. Because Claude Rains was going to be in this movie and he wanted to be more of a central part of this story. Mm -hmm. In these initial scripts, Larry was not the son of Sir John Talbot. Uh Uh-huh. So it was Larry Gill. But Sir John Talbot was still there. Oh, gotcha. Now, Sir John is going to be the father of Larry Talbot to be more central to the story mm-hmm. and, you know, be a big part of the ending. And, and lots of the lines that would have been for Paul Munford or Dr. Lloyd are now given to Sir John. Oh, 
Okay. So we have the final script now. Shooting lasted from October 27th, 1941 to November 25th, 1941. The director was George Wagner, who is the one that hired Kurt Siodmach to come up with the story for The Wolfman. Mm -hmm. He had previously directed Man-Made Monster, which was the first Universal movie that Lon Chaney did. Lon Chaney plays Larry Talbot. He was born Creighton Tull Chaney. When he was born, he was almost stillborn, I guess. He was born at Lon Chaney Sr.'s cabin, I think it was, and he wasn't crying. He wasn't reacting at all. So Lon Chaney Sr. took the baby and dunked him into some ice water in the river or something, and that brought him back to life. Lon Chaney Sr., he did not want young Creighton to become an actor. Mm-hmm. Told him to stay away from it. But Creighton? Yeah. I don't like that name. But after his death, Lon Chaney Jr. became an actor, or Creighton became an actor. After much debate, he finally changed his name to Lon Chaney Jr. This is what he has to say on the subject. Lon said that they had to starve me to make me take his name, he later revealed. (laughs) Because he really wanted to do something on his own without having to use his father's name, but they really wanted him to use the name. And play up the fact that he is the son of the man of a thousand faces. Gotcha. So he had lots of bit parts and extra work and stunt work and, you know, lots of movies. That his big breakout role came in 1939 when he played Lenny in Of Mice and Men. And it's a great performance. Uh, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to hurt him. Maybe his best. That and the Wolfman are his two best performances. Universal then gave him a contract, knowing that he would be capable and that he's the son of Lon Chaney Sr., who made so many successful movies for them, including Phantom of the Opera and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And the first one that he did for Universal was Man-Made Monster, which George Wagner also directed. In that, he was still credited as Lon Chaney Jr. Now with The Wolfman, this is his first time being credited simply as Lon Chaney. Claude Rains plays Sir John Talbot. We know him as the Invisible Man, Jack Griffin. An invisible man can rule the world. Warren William plays Dr. Lloyd. Ralph Bellamy plays Paul Muntford. He's also in Ghost of Frankenstein, and you might know him best from a little movie called Trading Places. Pay up, Mortimer. I've won the bet. He is one of the old men, rich old men, that has the bet. He's also in Pretty Woman. Patrick Knowles plays Frank Andrews. He was also in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, but as another character named Frank. (laughs) Frank Mannering. Different character. (laughs) Different character. First name Frank. Yeah. Interesting. A little confusing, but... Very. uh, (laughs) Bale Lugosi plays Bale of the Gypsy, and he was actually campaigning to star in this movie as the titular character. I'm glad he didn't. Yeah. I mean, he was the original Wolfman. He turned the Wolfman into a Wolfman. And at that point, why don't we talk a little bit about how do you feel about Bela the werewolf being four-legged and the Wolfman being two-legged? It's inconsistent, but we don't really see him. So I feel like it's kind of like in that what happened type of realm, I guess. Yeah, it's weird, and no one knows exactly why they made that decision. Some people think that maybe it was to kind of give the idea that maybe this was in his head more so. Mm. I like to come up with the theory that maybe Larry Talbot didn't become a full werewolf, like maybe because he didn't die and come back. He's only like half werewolf. 
Wait a minute. I don't know. If we knew more of the lore as it applies to this movie specifically. Yeah. Maybe. But we don't know that you would die completely. No, no, no. We, yeah, we don't know at all. I'm just trying to come up with a reason why it would make sense. Yeah. So Evelyn Anchors, she plays Gwen Cunliffe, and she became a big scream queen of the 1940s. Evelyn? Evelyn, Evelyn. Okay. <laughs> I think she's Evelyn. So, you know, during this movie, the studio gave Evelyn Anchors Lon Chaney Jr.'s dressing room, and this made Lon very upset. And the reason that she got it and he lost it was because he had a big problem. He used to drink a lot and he would uh, invite his friends over to the dressing room and they would wrestle and they basically destroyed the dressing room. Oh. So Lon had a big drinking problem and Evelyn Anchors was always the one to be picked on by Lon during his uh, antics. He used to do lots of pranks during production. And if a prank would go too far, lots of the time studio executives would have to call him to the office and sit him down and talk with him. When he would be in the Wolfman makeup, he would <laughs> jump out and scare Evelyn Anchors all the time, scaring the hell out of her. Even though they didn't get along, they co-starred in so many movies together. You know, besides this, they did uh, Ghost of Frankenstein and Weird Woman and and I think there's a couple others. Maria Ospinskaya. She plays Maliva, the old gypsy woman. How old do you think she was during the making of this movie? I think she had old people makeup on. <laughs> she didn't have old people makeup on. Well, okay. 70. According to her tombstone, she would have been 54. No way. But <laughs> according to historians, she was really 65. Yeah, that sounds more like it. And even if she was 65, she was only five years older than her son, Bela. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, she came back to play Maliva again in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. As I told you, Forrester Harvey plays Twiddle. He's the innkeeper from The Invisible Man. Mm -hmm. And then Moose plays... The original Wolfman. He's the dog. Oh, <laughs> that like, plays the uh, the werewolf. <laughs> yeah, and during the scene where Larry Talbot is fighting the werewolf, Bela the werewolf, the dog Moose bit Lon so hard on the hand that it broke his thumb and his forefinger. Oh wow! What kind of dog was Moose? German Shepherd, I think. I really thought you were gonna say a German Schnauzer, and I'm like, you mean to tell me a weenie dog is starting all of this? Yeah, a German Shepherd, I think. But Lon, after he got bit by the dog, he liked the dog's spirit. <laughs> so Lon ended up adopting him. Oh. And Lon and Moose became best friends. In fact, in subsequent sequels and other movies that Lon did for Universal, there's always behind-the-scenes photos of Lon Chaney Jr. dressed as a particular monster with Moose. They became the best of friends, but several years later, Moose did die on the back lot of Universal Studios after being run over by a truck. <gasps> no! And Lon was devastated. I did want to talk a little bit about a, a, a scene that was written in the script, but didn't really come to fruition in the movie. But remember when he entered the church and everyone looked back at him? Yes. There was going to be a moment where Lon couldn't, or Larry Talbot couldn't enter because of the shadow of a cross that he couldn't pass. The, the cross was keeping him from entering the church. And if you watch that scene, the shadow of the cross does 
land right before him so he can't go down that aisle. They don't play up on that fact in the movie, but it looks like they set up for that scene, but yeah. didn't actually shoot it that way. Aww. Then, of course, I want to talk about the sets. Uh, the sets are incredible. You know, back in the old days of the 40s, fog was kind of dangerous to work with. Why? The chemicals weren't good for people. In fact, people that had to work in the fog on this movie, it made their eyes sore. Oh, no. And it gave people intestinal trouble. Oh, my gosh. So this fog burned your eyes and then made you poop your pants. Yes. And also to keep the fog visible, they had to keep the studio or the soundstage below 50 degrees at all times. So they only had a few trees and a few stumps to make this whole forest. The art director, he painted them all black and shiny so they would pick up nicely in black and white. Mm -hmm. And to get to a different part of the forest, all they had to do was turn the trees around and it would seem like you're in a completely different area. (laughs) So it wasn't as big as the movie makes it appear. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much that they show and they pan through. Yeah. Um, and then they'll start again, like set back to one or whatever, and then go again. So. Right. But like when he gets like caught in the trap, it seems like a different part of the forest just because yeah. it's set up differently. But that set stood there for several years and lots of different movies used that forest set. They also used Little Europe for this movie that you see on the Universal Tour. And, you know, it still pretty much looks like that mm-hmm. in some areas. The church scene, that church was actually Notre Dame in the 1923 version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh. There were a couple incidents in the movie. In the finale, remember the Wolfman? He runs towards Gwen and he attacks her and he's about to bite her. Yeah. And then Claude Rains shows up and then the Wolfman drops her and attacks Claude. Okay, yeah. So in that finale, Gwen Cunliffe, or Evelyn Anchors, she falls to the ground and she's in the fog. Remember this dangerous fog? Yes. Well, she didn't hear anyone say cut, so she waited longer than she should have, and she ended up passing out in the fog. And because the scene continued where he goes to attack you know claude rains and they kind of forgot to check on her. So the only way someone found her was someone tripped over her, and then they got her and picked her up and brought her back to consciousness. <laughs> That's so responsible. Yeah. And then another accident happened during the finale where Claude Rains actually hit Lon Chaney in the face with the cane, giving him a black eye. And Claude Rains felt awful. I uh, want to talk a little bit about the makeup. Uh, Jack Pierce did the makeup, one of his best. Again, so he good. did all the great monsters, Frankenstein, the mummy, and all that. The makeup was originally designed for Boris Karloff when they announced the Wolfman movie. He was trying to uh, come up with some ideas and then he was going to use that makeup on Henry Hall when they did Werewolf of London and as I told you in the Werewolf of London episode, they wanted to uh, scale the makeup back and Henry Hall wanted to be more recognizable because that's kind of what the script called for. So they saved that makeup, and now Jack Pierce can use it on Lon Chaney Jr. for The Wolfman. It took four hours to apply. It wasn't nearly as complicated as it was to make the Frankenstein makeup, but it still is just as good it's in a different way. It's very involved. It's it's very involved, that makeup, I, I think. I mean, I'm not... No, I mean, it is. It's just not as 
it's not as time consuming as the Frankenstein yeah. makeup. It was yak hair all over his face <laughs> with a rubber nose. Yeah, and then he's, he singed the yak hair to give it an animal like appearance. And then it took 45 minutes to remove the makeup. Wow. This is what Lon Chaney has to say about the process of removing the makeup. What gets me is after work, and I'm all hot and itchy and tired, and I've got to sit in that chair for 45 minutes more while Pierce just about kills me ripping off the stuff he put on me in the morning. Sometimes we take an hour, and he leaves some of my skin, (laughs) and he leaves some of the skin on my face. So while it did take four hours for Lon to get the makeup on, that's when they would film all the close-ups of Evelyn Anker screaming at you know, being in fear of the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. For her close-ups, she wasn't even looking at a Wolfman. But it was a long process for Lon. <laughs> in fact, Kurt Seelbach, the writer, he would sometimes visit the set and he would get scared that he would run into Lon Chaney Jr. because he overheard him say one time, if I find the SOB who made up this monster, I'm going to hit him over the head. <laughs> but they became great friends. Nice. Here's what Lon Chaney has to say about the transformation. Again, this one has the feet transformation, but he's talking about the facial transformation back. The day we did the transformations, I came in at 2 a.m. When I hit that position, they would take little nails and drive them through the skin on the edge of my fingers on both hands so that I wouldn't move them anymore. (laughs) While I was in this position, they would build a plaster cast of the back of my head. They would then take the drapes from behind me and starch them, and while they were drying them, they would take the camera and weigh it down with one ton so that it wouldn't quiver when people walked. They had targets for my eyes up there. Then, while I'm still in this position, they would shoot five or ten frames of film in the camera. They'd take that film out and send it to the lab. While it was there, the makeup man would come and take the whole thing off my face and put on a new one, only less. I'm still immobile. When the film came back from the lab, they'd check me. They'd say, your eyes have moved a little bit. Move them to the right. Now your shoulder is up. Then they'd roll it again and shoot another 10 frames. Well, we did 21 changes of makeup and it took 22 hours. I won't discuss about the bathroom. So that was Lon's quote. I don't exactly buy it. (laughs) Yeah. Because... There's not 21 dissolves of makeups in that sequence. I think he exaggerated it, but I'm sure it was still tough to do. I don't think he had to sit exactly in the same place all the time. I think he could get up and then they'd change his makeup and then put him back and get him in the same place again. Is this for the last scene or? I think so. But I think he, you know, because he probably said that in an interview years later. So he could be referring to the sequels, which have more elaborate transformations. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Then I want to talk a little bit about a deleted scene. There is a scene, it's during the big uh, gypsy celebration, Mm -hmm. and one of the gypsies asks if anyone would dare fight a giant bear, and Larry goes to fight the bear, and he gets in this animalistic rage, and he's about to kill the bear until Gwen stops him. The reason they cut it was because... They couldn't find a bear. No, there was a bear. Uh, (laughs) They actually shot it. In fact, in the trailer, there's a shot of Lon with his shirt kind of ripped and stuff. That's not in the movie. That's from that sequence. But they cut it because it makes you lose sympathy for Larry that he's going to kill this animal. Because the bear ends up, I think, kind of 
running away scared, you know? Mm. But during that scene, when they were shooting it, the bear took a liking to Evelyn Anchors and a lunge toward her and sort of tried to attack her. And like Lon pulled her out of the way and then she was quickly pulled up by some grips or something into the lighting grid. And then the lights blinded the bear, which let the trainer gain control of it. After that, Lon Chaney would get nowhere close to that bear he would not fight him at all so a stunt person did the scene Uh of uh, fighting the bear just want to talk a little bit about the music the music was done by charles previn with frank skinner and hans j salter i'd always heard that hans j salter was the main composer of this movie but the others had their uh moments as well Mm -hmm. so the wolfman theme you know it goes the great theme And the reason that they chose those three notes was the tritone at one time was considered the music of dark powers. And now that's the theme. So even the music was so thoughtful to kind of have meaning behind it. Yeah. The premiere was held on December 20th, 1941. Mm -hmm. And here's a couple of reviews of the time. Oh, okay. The Hollywood Reporter says... The Wolfman serves its horrors straight. A very substantial cast undertakes to sell believably a tale of superstitious folklore. Producer-director George Wagner dresses it up with all the craft at the command of a studio, practice in spinning horror yarns. Lon Chaney assumes the really terrifying makeup created by Jack P. Pierce and bears favorable comparison to his esteemed father. And he is pleasantly personable as the untransformed Larry. Evelyn Anchors is a lovely intelligent heroine smart is the touch of gypsy mysticism introduced in the character played by maria ospenskaya low-key photography by joseph valentine and the stunning art direction by jack otterston and robert boyle then the new york times didn't give it a great review oh really they said universal which must have a veritable menagerie of mythical monsters all with an eye on stardom and five-year contracts is now sponsoring the debut of its latest pride and joy the wolfman at the rialto nobody is going to go on believing in werewolves or santa clauses if custodians of these legends don't tell them with a more convincing imaginative touch the wolfman is left without a paw to stand on he looks a lot less terrifying and not nearly as funny as mr disney's big bad wolf Mm, that's a that's yeah a that take. person did not like it <laughs> oh no, that is quite the take on this movie yeah but most reviews were great lots of people like this movie it was tough to predict if this movie would be successful because it came out weeks following pearl harbor oh. so no one knew if people would go to movies if people would want to see horror movies but as they found out times of war and times of depression in the world horror movies do better because people want that escapism and the wolfman became the biggest smash of the season Hmm. and the wolfman it became the only monster that was played by one actor and one actor alone lon cheney played the wolfman for five movies and no one else took the reins he loved playing the wolfman even though the makeup was tough and he called the wolfman his baby (laughs) as i said it spawned four sequels frankenstein meets the wolfman house of frankenstein house of dracula and abbott and costello meet frankenstein and of course there was a remake in 2010 with benicio del toro i liked it i will kill all of you I did not love it, but the makeup is incredible by Rick Baker. 
The Wolfman remains one of my favorite movies of all time. I can watch it over and over again. I have collectibles of him. I have models. I have art. I have everything. There's so many werewolf movies. So many. Teen Wolf. I like how Teen Wolf is my only (laughs) contribution. The Howling, American Werewolf in London, uh, Ginger Snaps, (laughs) Trick or Treat. (laughs) Yeah, the Wolfman, I would say... He's my second favorite monster, only behind the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Okay. But when it's not Boris Karloff, the Wolfman becomes my favorite monster. Okay. He's really great and one of my favorites. Yeah. That's the story of the Wolfman. Thank you so much. Why don't we wrap this up, Anthea? Let us. Uh, you can find us at podsandmonsters.com on the interwebs. Also at Pods and Monsters Podcast on Instagram, Pods and Monsters on Facebook and on Twitter. If you have any suggestions, please feel free to slide into the DMs or email us at podsandmonsters at gmail.com. We do have an updated list. We're removing a movie because we were planning on having a guest for that movie. We're going to switch them around just because of uh, the whole Corona COVID situation. And uh, we can't really have any guests over to record with us. So we're going to switch it up. That's it. That's all I got. (laughs) All right. Well, on this terrific episode of Pods of Monsters all about the Wolfman, my name is Robert. (laughs) My name is Inthia, and I hope you guys are having a good, a positive social distancing experience right now. Yeah, we... You know, as much as you can. We're glad that you are spending whatever time you do have um, listening to our little podcast. Yeah, we hope you enjoy it. And uh, maybe we'll run away together, but you wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Wow, you sounded like <laughs> Richard Nixon. Or Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If you stay with me any longer, they won't be telling you who'll be next. All right. <laughs> Goodbye. And look, I wore my cane. Three pounds, $15 for an old stick. Go now. And heaven help you. Go and get some rest. <laughs>